And so today I want to talk about your mind and thinking and how that evolves, involves us as Christians more than we realize and hopefully more than ever. So let me pray and then we can begin and talk about uh, we'll talk about this. Father, we, th we pray that you would engage our minds. We pray that you would engage our hearts. We pray that you would speak to us clearly and powerfully in a, a way that would impact the way we live our lives. And we also pray that you would maybe clear up um, any wrong thinking we have, that the scripture would help us and that we would align with truth. And we also ask God that if maybe there's someone here that has a particular need in their life, whether it be maybe some hurt that they've gone through or maybe someone's told them something that wasn't true about you, would you clear up those things, God? Whatever the needs are, would you, Holy Spirit, come and minister in a broad way uh, and then also in a very specific way to individual needs? Work in this whole church, God. Work with every person that's here. Someone took the time to come here, God. I pray that you would bless them for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're, we've been in a series on spiritual gifts in Ephesians 6. And the two scriptures that were read today had something to do with thinking, the way you think, and how Christianity is a thinking religion, contrary to what some people think um, or proclaim. And it's very much an uh, area where I want you to be challenged today about how you're living your life and how that's going to uh, affect the way that you think. And there was a philosopher that used to live. He was a really a great, maybe one of the top Christian philosophers in the uh, 20th century. His name was Francis Schaeffer. And he said that the spiritual battle, the loss of victory is always the thought world and our thoughts. Our thoughts are where we often win and lose the battle in our walk with God. In Mark chapter 4, 15, it's that passage where Jesus was telling the parable of the man that would scatter seeds. And he scattered seeds in four different locations. And the very first one was he scattered the seed. And the seed represents the gospel. So the gospel went out and it landed on the, the path. And immediately a bird came and snatched it. And Jesus explained what that meant. And he says, well, that's when Satan comes and snatches the gospel before a person can even really think about it. And which means that Satan doesn't want us to think. He doesn't want us to hear the gospel. And therefore, Satan is trying to keep you from thinking clearly. And maybe he would even do that today. Maybe some people here are going to wrestle with thinking and they're going to be disengaged and they have other things that are going to come. And so there's even going to be a, an actual battle taking place that reflects the very topic I want to talk about. I want to talk about how important it is to um, have our thinking fully engaged for God and that even as we're doing this sermon, the spiritual war is taking place right here in our very midst. In Psalm 14.1, it says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. If you're in education, there are some in education who would higher education maybe a little more, uh, but there are people who are, are atheists and they actually think Christians are not thinkers. And so they have come to the conclusion 
that they don't need God and that having God is a crutch because you're um, not capable or lean on something that's not true. And the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. The Bible is declaring that you would be very foolish to live your life without God, ignoring God. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So if you want to be smart, according to the Bible, the very first thing you do is you acknowledge that there's a God. God exists and I need Him. And that's like step one. Uh, so let me challenge you in this way. Christianity means putting on your thinking cap, not taking it off. You will never be more mentally engaged than when you come to realize that there is a natural world and a supernatural world and that they are inseparably linked and that everything that plays out in our world has its root and cause in a heavenly realm. Our world is connected to a spiritual world, this physical world, and our presence here has a um, complete, is completely tied into a spiritual realm. And therefore, I want you to think about that. Listen to this verse. A lot of people memorize Romans 12, 1 and 2 early in their Christian experience. And so Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So there's your body, there's the physical part. So I want you to give your physical being to God. And it says, this is your spiritual worship. So these two things, these two entities are intertwined. So some of you took the effort this morning to wake up and you got dressed and maybe you had your cup of coffee before you left and you got in the car and you drove here and you walked in the parking lot and you found a seat and you talked to a few people and so you had to go through certain physical um, acts, certain, you had to engage physically to get here and you were intentional to get here because you wanted to worship God. And so your desire to worship God required physical um, steps that you had to take. And then once you get here, the Bible, God says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Part of the reason you're here is to have your mind renewed. You want to have uh, interaction with the Bible. You want to interact with biblical thought. You want to, you, f you took physical efforts to get here and sit in that seat you're sitting. And some of you are physically working hard to pay attention or jot a note or keep your focus. And so you're, you're physically present and you're mentally listening and you're trying to understand this book and you believe that showing up here could be a step towards understanding your whole purpose in life. And so week after week you come and you go and you do things during the week and you, you keep coming back to the Word of God to help you sort through what you're going to commit yourself to every day. And so the Bible says that we're not to conform to this world, and that means the world doesn't have the capacity to help you understand eternal purposes. The world can say, hmm, are you hungry? You need to eat. 
the world can say, um, your feet hurt, then get some better shoes. Um, you want to get along in the world, in the world, and the world says, go to college and do this. And all these different things. The world has a way of communicating. But the Bible says that that is insufficient. That you not only need to have information about how to operate in this world and many people only that's the only level they're interested in it's the only layer they care about they're not interested in spiritual things and they feel like I just want to live in this world just let me live my life I just want to make money um, eat out have friends have a family have a career vacation as the world is what I'm interested in therefore the world is the only voice I need to listen to. I'll figure out how to navigate this world by listening to this world. And the Bible is saying that is not sufficient. That is not, you can't live in this world successfully without information from God. You need spiritual information to live in this physical realm. You need both. You need to understand both. And the Christian is the only one that seems to have these two operating simultaneously. Truth and life working together, figuring out what it means to be alive, to be alive in this world and how to live your life. Okay, so spiritual warfare is our topic that we're on right now. And I want to review a few of the things we've learned from Ephesians 6 Ephesians 6 is where I'm kind of, we've been planting and today we're going to be looking at one little statement in there called the helmet of salvation that comes out of Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. But here's some things we have talked about. You must be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Never go into spiritual battle without God leading the way. And do not try to take, uh, take on life without God. You don't have what it takes. Okay, you don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes to prevail. Now the world tells you you've got everything you need. The world says it's up to you. Just live your life, follow your heart, do all these things. And the world sends these messages to you that says you don't really need God. And I'm saying you totally need God. You do not need to go out into this world apart from God. It will not work. You will fail. You will be defeated. You will be destroyed. There are forces working against you. And you will even make terrible decisions apart from knowledge of God. And therefore, if you're going to succeed, you need God on your side and you need the strength and might of God. You need God. If you want to stand against the schemes of the devil, to stand means to survive, to not get knocked over. If you want to stand against the schemes of the devil, the devil's very clever and he has schemes and he's plotting, he's very effective and he just takes people out day after day after day. And if you want to stand against the schemes of the devil, then you must put on the whole armor of God. There is armor that you can put on as a Christian that will help you to stand in this world where Satan has schemes to take people out. And if you want to survive in this world, then you need to find out about what is this armor. And that's what we're studying and how to put it on and how to use it. And by the way, you need all the pieces, not just some. You don't just pick out and say, I like swords, so I want the sword. Or I like shoes, so I want the shoes. You need every piece of armor. You must not go out 
without all the pieces because Satan will know exactly which piece is missing and that's where he will aim his arrows. So the idea is you need the fullness of what God would offer to you to live in this world for God and for His glory against Satan who is very clever and he knows how to take you out. Okay? So Satan also has people in high places, seen and unseen. In the seen realm, there are people that are powers and principalities and authorities and people who rule in governments and world organizations and businesses and school systems and everywhere. Satan has his people everywhere. They're everywhere in every country, in every nation, in every community. Satan has people and many of them, it's not unusual at all. They are people, often, many of them are in positions of power. Power and their power and their decisions affect you. And you have to be aware of that. But beyond that power, there's a power above that. There's another layer. That's just the level that you can see. And there's a whole other layer and level that we can't see. And that would be the spiritual realm. And in that realm, there are also powers and principalities. And the Bible says that you need to know that. You, you need to know that, that there are these powers. If you're going to stand, then you need to not be naive. You can't be foolish and naive. So the instant you become a Christian, you cross a line. You change sides. When you, before you're a Christian, you're on one side. And after you become a Christian, you're on another side. No, one, no one's in this neutral Switzerland. No one's in this neutral neutrality where they're just like, we don't want a side. We, we just want to get along with everyone. That doesn't exist. That side doesn't exist. You're on one side or the other. Jesus said, you're for me or you are against me. And there's just two sides. There's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. There's the prince of peace and there's the prince of darkness. And there's two sides. And you are, whether you even acknowledge, you may say, I'm not on a side, I'm neutral. Then you have been deceived because you are only two sides and you pick one. And, and you're on the wrong side until you make a choice to leave that side. Because the Bible says we come into this world with a depraved heart and mind. We are sinners and we are rebels against God. The Bible says while we were yet enemies with God, Christ died for us. He doesn't say when you were neutral, Jesus died for you and now you're going to have time to figure things out. He says, no, you are already at enmity with God. And that's why Jesus Christ came to save you and to bring you out of darkness into the light. That's what the gospel is for. It's a summons to change sides. Reject, renounce your prior allegiance to Satan and to this world and to evil and to opposing God and declare and announce your allegiance to Jesus Christ. I have a new king, a new Lord. I pick another side. I don't want to be on that side anymore. That side has not been good to me. My old master was cruel. I want a new master and Jesus Christ to be my, my master. I choose him. He is good. And the instant you become a Christian, you cross this line and you change sides and you denounce your alliance with this world and its powers and have declared Jesus. Too many people view salvation as merely a ticket, just like a ticket to heaven, which it is that, but it's so much more. This is demeaning to think that it's just that. It's so much more. Christianity is to humbly bow before the Lord God Almighty and swear allegiance to His cause. And that's why people live such frustrated Christians' lives, Christian lives. People think they're living the Christian life and they're like, oh, I don't get it. It's not fun. I'm bored with it. I, I tried that God thing. It didn't work. You didn't try the God thing and it didn't work. It always works. Whatever it was that you did didn't, wasn't it. So if someone says, I was a Christian and I quit, then I'm just saying you never were a Christian. You never had it. 
You thought you had it. You had some, some fake version or some, uh, something was missing. You, you weren't truly alive because no one who truly comes to know Christ can turn away from Him. He's just too good to walk away from. And so there's a lot to consider. There's a lot to ponder. There's a lot to think about. Christianity requires thinking, pondering, meditating. God wants you to fully understand and engage your mental faculties. It's a summons to wake up and think and act. And Christianity does not require you to set aside your mind, but to awaken your mind. It's not the shutting it off, it's the shutting it on. It's like a light switch comes on and you start seeing things you never saw before. Hold more layers. You will never need to think more clearly and to dig deeper than that now that you're a Christian and awaken to the interaction between the natural world and the spiritual world. It's like you see things you never saw before. You're aware of traps and tricks and truth and what is good and what is not. And if you're going to stand in this evil day, you will need to, as Ephesians 6, 17 says, put on... The helmet of salvation. You need a helmet of salvation. We've talked about the, 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 the shield of faith. We've talked about the belt of, of truth. And we've talked about the breastplate of righteousness. And I want to talk about the helmet of salvation. I want to think about your... I want to, I want you, I want to talk about how you think. What's in your mind. What you do with your mind. And how important it is. So I began by just posing a question. What, 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 is a, what is a helmet? What is the purpose of a helmet for? It's a simple, it's a simple analogy. You, you put a helmet on to protect your head. A helmet protects your head. Soldiers wear helmets. Football players wear helmets. And kayakers wear helmets. And there's helmets for bicycles and motorcycles. And, and God wrapped our brain in a helmet. The skull is a natural helmet to protect the brain. And sometimes an additional, additional helmet is needed to protect when you're doing something that's particularly risky or dangerous. So you put a helmet over your helmet. The brain is vital to human life. It's a fist-sized three-pound organ with 86 billion active neurons, blood-pumping vessels that are in constant interaction and a network of circuit that exchange information. The brain is absolutely amazing. One website I turned to was like, what is the brain? It said the brain is the most complex part of the human body, the seat of intelligence, interpreter of the senses, initiator of body movement and controller of behavior. The human brain has three parts, the cerebellum, the cerebrum, the brain stem. It's a physical, visible Organ, it's material, matter. The brain is this thing about the size of your fist and it weighs about three pounds. It's a, it's a physical organ. It's visible, physical. The mind is an invisible, it's invisible entity. You can't hold your mind in your hand. You can't hold, you can't look at your mind. You can't, your mind doesn't weigh a certain amount. The mind is the element of a person that enables them to be aware of the world and of their experiences, to think and feel the faculty of consciousness and thought. Maybe a helpful analogy is this, and you, I mean, I thought of it, so it might not be right. 
But I kind of like the brain is kind of like the hardware and the mind is like the software. Like the hardware of a computer is like the physical stuff and the, the software is the information that has to be processed when you get it into the hardware. And our brain is like the physical thing and our mind is what happens in there. Okay. And I don't know if you've done any philosophy or anything like that or studied epistemology, the science of knowledge, but this philosopher named Descartes, he said he was trying to think through and he was a great philosopher and the question was, how do you know you exist? And he says, well, I think, therefore I am. Like you can't think if you don't exist and if you, um, it's like a self-proof, self-proof. So I, I, I thought of this. This is pretty clever. You can tell me later how smart I am. But I'm pretty sure if you're interested in the relationship of the brain and the mind, then I'm, I'm thinking you probably have both. If you're interested in the brain, I'm guessing you have one. And if you're interested in the mind, I'm suggesting you have one of those two. Okay, so that's pretty much. If you can say yes to those two things, then you're here and you're thinking, and you're alive. The mind is one of the most amazing things given to us by God. It is essential to our lives. It is essential to how we live, what we do, our convictions, our passions, our decisions, our ability to solve problems, our creativity, our ability to overcome hardship, and our, our willingness to even try, our willingness, our readiness at times, or decisions that we make to do hard things like going to war or getting up after defeat or everything we do in life runs through the brain and engages the mind. So it makes perfect sense that God wants to talk to us about something so central to everything we do. And it makes perfect sense that Satan would want to disrupt and distract this thing that involves everything that we do. It makes sense that God and the devil are both very interested in your mind. We need to know that. He's so interested. We need to be interested. Anyone who thinks Christianity is mindless is deceived. The, the Bible is constantly calling us to be mentally engaged. The spiritual engagement requires mental engagement. God wants us to use and fully engage our brains. God wants us to think and to ponder, and to meditate, and study, and to make wise choices, and to carefully weigh options, and to learn, and grow, in knowledge, and truth, and reason. These are, these are capacities. These are, these are things given to us by God as a reflection that we are made as image bearers of God. This is part of what it means to bear the image of God, is to think. That's one way we reflect or mirror God is that we have rational capacity. We also have things like moral capacity or ethics. And we have um, the ability to understand what is right and wrong. And we would call that righteousness and justice and um, all these equity and all these things that are part of being image bearers of God which require thinking and processing and information and truth. And so God wants us to use this capacity in our lives and in this battle that we're in. It's essential that we understand how important our minds are to Christian engagement. 
Proverbs 11.1, 1, the, proverb, the whole book of Proverbs is about wisdom. Like how, how can you be wise or smart? Or, and it's not just knowledge that is information. It's knowledge that is put into use and practical. W wisdom isn't just knowledge. Um, knowledge is information, but wisdom is knowing how to use the information. And so that's what God is, some, is calling us to be wise, to have accurate information to make good, best decisions. And so it says to know wisdom and instruction. There's a whole book in the Bible just committed. Proverbs is committed that you can be wise. And, and step one is knowing that there's a God. Proverbs 1, 7, the beginning of knowledge or wisdom is the fear of God. The fear of God just means the acknowledgement, the proper acknowledgement to, to, to know God for who He really is. To build your life based on the knowledge that God really is God and that you need Him, and that you're not God. And, and the smartest thing a person can do, like step one, you want to be smart? Then start here. There is a God. And you're accountable to Him. That's like step one. That's the smartest thing you can do. Just, that's like getting in the game right there. It's like you, you can't get in the game if you don't even know that. That's like the beginning of wisdom. And then there's so much, once you get that, that there's a God and I'm accountable to Him. And, and actually you start learning things like He is good, He is righteous, He is just. He does everything on purpose. He controls the universe. He is Lord. And then you just get smarter the more you learn about Him. As long as your heart stays wise and you respond to the truth in the way that would be appropriate. Okay, so... So let's talk about a, so a helmet protects the head, protects the brain, uh, protects the mind. So that's one of the things in spiritual warfare, you need to engage mentally. Okay, because you're, you're going to be attacked in your thought life. Big part of the battle is in the area of thought life. And so then there's a certain kind of helmet you need, a helmet of salvation. What is a helmet of salvation? I know what a motorcycle helmet is. I know what a um, football helmet is. I know what a baseball helmet is. What is a salvation helmet? What is a helmet of salvation? What is he saying? What is he saying? There's a certain helmet that there's a certain impact that becoming a Christian salvation has upon the way you think and act. You need that. You need that. You need godly thinking, truth, According to the word of God, what is a helmet of salvation? Nothing will so radically change your direction in life as salvation. Okay. Um, I, I thought about one of the blessings of children who, Proverbs 22, 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so I was thinking about how cool this is. If kids start from day one and they're being taught a biblical worldview, it doesn't mean that they're saved, they're, but they're, they're starting with information. Train up a child in the way he should go. Train them up. If you're so blessed as to be brought up around the Word of God and hearing God's Word from the very beginning, you've got a jump start. You've got a jump start, but you, kneel, you still have to be born again. But you're already learning truth that is vital to living in this world. And so praise God for parents who make a decision and say, I'm going I'm to start my kid on the right track and I'm going to give them the knowledge of God. That's one of the gifts your mother and I want to give to you is 
that you have this information about truth and what a biblical worldview is so that whether you choose Christ or not, it's going to be on you. You're going to have to make that decision. And when you're young, we're going to, we're going to start down this road. And as you get older and you start making decisions on your own, and you're going to have to decide if you want to run after God. You're going to have, but you're going to have to reject everything we gave you because we're setting, instead of just starting with nothing and never getting anything, some people don't start with that. Some people don't have the blessing of being brought up with that information and a, a biblical truth and worldview. Now, some people reject a Christianity because they're brought up in a church, but maybe it wasn't a healthy setting. And maybe they were brought up in a church, but it wasn't lovingly, the information wasn't lovingly given to them. And it was harsh and laws and rules and their parents certainly didn't live it out very well and therefore people reject it. But they don't, they're not rejecting the truth so much as they're rejecting the way it was modeled and the misunderstanding of the truth. The truth was wrongly applied and harshly modeled. And so I would say it's not enough to get your kids in a church. You have to live it out. And you need to be in a church that lives it out. Because otherwise it's miscommunicated. And Satan is very good at mis, uh, misapplying truth. Satan is very good at using religion and distorting people's understanding of the gospel. So the helmet of salvation is what comes when you commit yourself to Christ and salvation. Salvation is when you are rescued from sin and death. Salvation is when Jesus saves you. It's the new life, regeneration, being born again, born of the Spirit. Salvation in your heart totally reorients your mind. You are now a child of God and you wear God's uniform, including a helmet of salvation. You are called and marked and chosen and beloved and protected by God. Salvation has brought you into the ways and wonders of God. You are on team Jesus. Salvation is the single greatest event in your life. And you have a whole new outlook on life and death. And God wants you to know about salvation. He wants you to know about what you have because of your salvation and what's awaiting you in heaven as a result of your salvation. So salvation is like opens the door, turns the light on, just changes you and reorients you, redirects your life toward the glory of God and not self, self um, in grand, grand what, what, what's the word I'm looking for? That one. Okay. And it's like God just changes that. And he orients you away from yourself, pleasing yourself to pleasing God Almighty. And it's a wonderful, wonderful change. In Philippians 1, Paul was praying and he said, My prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. It's like I want you to get love God more and I want you to grow to know God more and, and understand more and more the ways of God. So I want to say that Christianity is mind engaging. And that's where I want, to, I want to stop here for a minute. I want to park here for just a moment. God wants to engage your mind. He wants to engage your mental capacity, your mental capabilities. He wants to awaken your mind like never before. He wants to turn your mental energy and focus on in a way that you maybe even didn't realize was uh, 
synonymous with being a Christian. God wants to awaken every faculty inside of you. He wants to awaken the whole person. Let me kind of illustrate. See if I can illustrate. There is so much to study and learn in this world. There's so much in God's world. This is God's world. And all that you can learn points to God. Did you know that? That truth always points to God. Little truths, big truths, giant truths, spiritual truths, truths of the natural realm and spiritual realm all point to the glory of God who is the creator of all these things. Did you know this? All fields of study open up in a way that is astounding when you become a Christian. Knowledge of this world points to the knowledge of God. Everywhere you look, you now see it related to Almighty God. All of a sudden you see God everywhere. You're hiking and you think, man, the glory of God. And you're, you're doing this or you're studying this topic. And you're looking in a microscope and you go, wow, the little stuff, glory to God. Or you're looking at a telescope and you're looking way out. And you go, wow, the glory of God. God is amazing. And becoming a Christian awakens your mental faculties. It's, it's thrilling. It's so exciting. Everywhere you look, you're learning things about God and how He pieced things together and how brilliant He is. I want you to understand, like a lot of you here sitting here are students, and I want to, I want to make clear that what Christianity is not saying, put your brain on a shelf, it's like turn the light on. It's like open up every field of study and see if you can bring, if God is calling you to a field of study, then realize that He wants you to glorify Him in that field. Science points to God. Medicine points to God. Philosophy ponders God. Mathematics points to God's order. Anatomy and biology and chemistry and history and language and physics and meteorology and warfare and ethics and sociology and engineering all belong to God. Construction belongs to God. Botany belongs to God. Landscaping and finance and geopolitics and zoology and athletics and computer science and artificial intelligence. Everything belongs to God. All truth is God's truth. And just because Satan borrows God's light, he often borrows God's light, and he acts like he thought of something first. He didn't think of anything first. He borrows all his light. So, you know, sometimes false religions borrow light from Christianity. You realize that? And then people hear something, and they'll go, oh, that sounds true. Oh, it's true, but they didn't think of it. They borrow light from God's light. God's the only one that has light. And so people borrow truth from God and act like they came up with it. And they didn't. It's God's truth. It's God's field. It's God's arena. Every field of information points to God and His truth. And knowing truth, knowing that truth begins and found, was founded by and rests upon knowing God makes your life change radically changed. So here, I want to I tell you that what this happens is some people have this concept of there's a distinction. I understand the distinction. I'm not declaring that the distinction is wrong. But for years, some of the grew up my age, there was a lot of talk about the sacred versus the secular. There was this, there was this dichotomy between secular, sacred and secular. It's like the secular was holy and the... Um, Sacred is holy and the secular was like, that's given over to the devil. So there's like, oh, there you can, there's a spiritual part of the world and then there's the non-spiritual part of the world. There's Christianity. You, you need to go, if you really want to live for God, go be a missionary, a preacher, 
something like that. You go into a spiritual vocation. And then there's the secular. It's like, well, that doesn't really count much. That's not that important. If you serve over here, you're not really serving God. You're choosing second best for your career. Do away with that. Away with that. That's not biblical. It all belongs to God. It's all God's field. What you need to do is claim that field for God. And you need to say, God has given me a mind and a desire to do this. And that came from God. God, some people just need to go into the field of physics and decorating and landscaping and computer science and law and politics and whatever. And like, stand. What you have to do when you go into the field is make sure that people know the reason that you're in that field is because you serve God. It's not like, no, I can't do science because science and faith are at odds. No, they're not. They're not at odds. That is a lie. Let me tell you how this works. Psalm 19. Psalm 19, I refer to it so many times as the two books of God. There's two books of God. Did anyone know that? There's this book and there's another book. There's the two books of God. And Psalm 19 starts by talking about the first book of God. And the first book of God is nature. It's the book of nature and the book of Scripture. And those are both God's books. He wrote both books. God wrote the book of nature. Nature is what God did. And God put it into work. And so the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth His handiwork. God's handiwork is seen in the Tuckeseegee River and in the, the mountains and in, in the microscope and you're studying whatever field you're in and you're studying, that's God's book. God wrote the laws of the universe and they display certain elements of the majesty and glory and beauty and wisdom and knowledge of God. God says that His invisible attributes, in Romans 1 it says, God's invisible attributes can be seen by what He has made. When you see the art, you know something of the artist, right? When you read the book, you know something of the author. When you see God's world, you know something of God. And therefore, there is a field out there for you to go and study and bring glory to God in that field. And you are to go and use your best faculties. You're not to say, oh, that's not spiritual. Spiritual is what I do at church on Sunday. That should be spiritual, but that's just the beginning of your week. And then you go out and you serve God in every possible field that's honoring to God. You can't glorify God in prostitution, okay? You don't go, I'm going to go claim that field or I'm going to go claim God in lying and stealing and cheating and drug dealing. Those aren't fields. Those are, di those are diversions of God's glory. Those are not true helpful things. Those are things that distort God's truth. But any field that reveals and magnifies God's truth is a field that Christians have every right and are called to go into those fields and say, let God be glorified in the way I do my landscaping business. Let God be glorified in the way I do accounting. Let God be glorified as, a, as I'm a lawyer, I'm going to do this. Let God be magnified in the way I'm a nurse, in the way I handle the room. Let God be glorified as I'm a teacher, in the way that I teach. Let God be glorified. I'm an athlete and I, I train athletes. Let God be glorified in the way they do that, so that whatever field you go into, you declare, this is my Father's world. And I'm going to glorify Him in the way I do this. And I'm going to do it morally, ethically. I'm going to give my very best to it. I'm going to, God called me. He gave me this capability. I want to use the abilities given to me by God so I can glorify God so that people come and ask me, why do you work so hard? I said, for the glory of God. Why did you put in all those years of study? For the glory of God. 
there's this field that God wanted me to study and, and He gave me a mind for it and an aptitude for it and a love for it. I just love it. Like my, my brain is like, runs fast when I, this topic comes up. It's like I'm all in. And it's just so much area that people have made this unhealthy distinction between what they consider to be spiritual and unspiritual. So, so the, the one book of God is nature and the other book of God is Scripture. And that's the second half of Psalm 19 where suddenly Psalm 19 shifts and it says the glory of God is being broadcasted everywhere and then it shifts down around verse 11 and it says, all of a sudden it says, your law is perfect and your precepts and more to be desired are honey than they. And suddenly it shifts from God's book of nature and then God's book of scripture. And the book of nature is God's world that he's created and everything in it. And the book of scripture is uh, summoning the people from the world how to have a relationship to God. We need the book of nature. It's where we live. It's who we are. We need the book of Scripture so that we can have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We need natural, there's two, some people call it this, natural revelation where God reveals Himself through nature, through what He's created, and special revelation, and that is where God specially reveals how to be saved. And we have these two books working together, and God is the author of both. They're not at odds, they work together. And Satan is the one that comes and throws lies against both of them. And he starts lying and deceiving. Okay, so I, I want to, um, let me just mention some scripture verses. And, and I'm going to let you go and read them and look them. I'll tell you what it means and what it's about. But s Satan is attacking your mind. He attacks your thought life. He comes in here and he wants to lie to you. He wants you to make things, make you think that things are true that aren't true. He wants you to um, believe that just because you believe something or just because a professor said it or just because you read it, read it on the website somewhere or just because your political party says something or your news outlet you listen to says something. He is constantly lying and uses propaganda. And so you have to be on your game, okay? If you're going to walk with God in this life, you've got to be on your game. You've got to be a thinker. Your Christianity is not this nice little cozy little thing that feels good and like a big fluffy pillow. Christianity is warfare and it's serious stuff and it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be engaged and to know why God put you on this earth and to use all of your faculties to serve and honor God. But there's someone who doesn't want to do that, wants to oppose that and he's going to put bad thinking. He's going to send bad information into you and at times it's going to be confusing and you're going to, oh man, so how do I handle this? How do I handle that? And he's going to have all these people and people that you respect. And sometimes they're going to have uh, conflicting opinions and go, oh, man. And you're going to have to pray and you're going to have to pick up God's word and you're going to have to think hard. And you're going to have to ask people for wisdom because the Bible says that Satan is, has designs in 2 Corinthians 2.11. We would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So Satan has designs, and he's trying to outwit us, which means thinking. He's trying to outwit us, outthink us, and we have to be careful. And then in Revelation 12, 9 and 10, it says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and he is, uh, has, he's the deceiver. Uh, who is, Satan is here called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. In Revelation 12, 9. So Satan's uh, primary tool is to deceive people and lie and say things are true that are not. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4. 
it refers to the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So he's trying to blind your mind. He's trying to make you believe things that are not accurate and true. And so in John 12, 31, Satan is called the ruler of this world. So he's in powerful places and he has great authority and he is well esteemed and many people have... Um, are in positions and someone says, well, so-and-so said it. If my professor said it, it must be true. Or if this political leader said it, it must be true. Or if grandpa said it, it must be true. And then in Genesis 3, we first meet Satan as a serpent who it says that he's very crafty, more crafty than any other beast. And in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says that we need to be sober-minded. Be watchful because your adversary... The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And in James 4, 7, it tells us that the, the epitome or the worst thing that we can do is our pride. Our pride says, no, I know everything. I know it. I don't need God. I don't need this. And the Bible said God opposes the proud. It opposes the person, who the know-it-all that thinks he knows everything. But it's, instead, we're supposed to submit yourselves to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. That's what we do. We draw near to God and keep doing it for, uh, for our entire lives. Okay, that's enough. Okay, that's enough. And, and I want you to think, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? God is interested in the way you think. He's interested in your thinking. And the first thing I want to ask, you put on that helmet of salvation. Are you saved? The question is, have you, has a light turned on? Is a switch on? Have you become a Christian yet? Are you a Christian? And you could become a Christian today. And a Christian means, I, I, believe, I believe in God and I believe that there's a source of truth and I believe that there's a, 